But I do thank you so much for um, having me. And so cool, girls. You got up over that pumpkin and lit that thing, put a light in there. And we've got a light and a flame going the whole time. So y'all have set the stage perfectly for uh, what we're here to talk about. And I will tell you, uh, I've been talking to Susan. I feel like she's my new BFF uh, because we tried to do this another year and it didn't work because I was having grandbabies. And uh, I do have eight grandbabies. And if you want to see pictures, I'm happy to show them. But... um, Anyway, talking to Susan and everything and just praying through, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? What's it going to be? And the Lord just gave me this phrase. And right at first, I knew it was in Scripture, but I wasn't even sure where it came from. So I looked it up, and the Lord has been working me over in preparation for working you over (laughs) this weekend. Uh, But... The phrase is fan the flame. So I was just constantly, that was just that was on me all the time. Fan the flame, fan the flame. In my mind, in my soul, in my spirit, everywhere I went, I was seeing flames. I was hearing the word flame. I was just observing and learning from the Lord things about flame. So it actually, the phrase actually comes from 2 Timothy 1.6. Uh, where Paul is uh, writing to his young protege, Timothy, and admonishing him, really, uh, stirring him up, if you will, by way of reminder to, in some translations say, kindle afresh, and some say to fan the flame of the gift of God in you. So that is kind of going to be our focus this weekend. To think about each one of us as believers, upon salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit, the the flame of the Lord. I mean, when the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost, what did he show up as? They saw the flame of the fire. When Moses was on the mountain, what did he see? The people saw the fire. When the the, uh, Holy Spirit was leading them and God was leading them through the wilderness, you know, fire by night, right? So fire, fire, fire. And um, so that's what we'll be focusing on. So whenever I say flame, gift of God, the flame, fan the flame, that's what I am talking about. The gift, the grace gifts that the Lord gives us upon salvation through the impartation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We each have particular giftedness. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, you know, the preacher will preach about spiritual gifts and he'll talk about hospitality or the gift of helps and all these warm, fuzzy things. And I would just go home crying because I am not a warm, fuzzy, gifted person. And I just cry. My husband would say, what's wrong? I said, I don't have that gift. So finally one day my husband said to me, honey, you have the gift of loud. <laughs> it is okay. So I stand here before you with the gift of loud, and it's a good thing, so everybody can hear me, right? But when we talk about the flame of the Lord, that's what I'm talking about. Being lit up by the Lord upon salvation, right? And throughout, if you just think about all the scriptures you know right off the top of your head about Jesus saying light, 
or Paul writing, walk as children of light, or John writing, you know, he walks in the light, right, as he is in the light. So light is a huge metaphor all throughout Scripture, light and flame. So I want you to kind of keep those things in mind. And as I, you know, Susan asked me for titles for each one of the talks and stuff. I was like, hmm, well, what came to my mind? Who's been uh, a little kid in church? Oh, yeah. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? So I use those, and the Lord just works these things out really perfectly, uh, for the title of each talk. And tonight I, I'm entitling it This Little Light of Mine. Because you don't know me, I want to tell you my Jesus story. I want to tell you about how the Lord lit that flame in me and has done an incredible work in my life to keep that fire burning, to keep that flame at full flame a whole lot of the time. And I tell you these things in hopes that it strikes a chord with you somewhere. You know, you live as long as I have, and you have seen some stuff. You have lived some life. You have been around the block a few times, not only with yourself and your life, but with people you invest in. When I was teaching those young marrieds, oh, my goodness, uh, the phone rang all the time, all hours of the day and night. I was at the hospital having the babies. I was, you know, taking the food over. My children, even, when they came home from school and saw that I was cooking a certain thing for dinner, they would say, who had a baby? <laughs> because that was always what I brought to the family. You because know, most people would bring, back then, they brought chicken and rice casserole. And everybody got sick of chicken and rice casserole. So I made something really different so that they could have some. So when my kids saw that they knew somebody had a baby but you know investing in other people's lives spending time with other people uh you see a lot you learn a lot you learn a lot about the lord you see a lot of opportunity uh how the lord offers us opportunities for growth offers us opportunities to lay down our own lives and follow him so my prayer is that as i share some of my Jesus story, that perhaps some of it will sort of pull, jiggle something in you that you can identify and you can be more sure than ever when you leave this room tonight that our God is a great God. And that song we just sang, that beautiful name, wonderful name, powerful name, I got my Kleenex out because that just moves my soul so much. There is no other name by which we may be saved, but there is the name of Jesus. So pray with me. Father, indeed, we love you so much. Lord, I thank you for this gathering of ladies. We sit before you now, Father, and we ask you to speak to us. Lord, I ask that you speak through me. Um, you have put so much on my heart and in my soul. And Father, I pray that you would communicate it clearly to each person here. Father, there are many, many, many needs in this room. There are many happies. There are many sads. There are gr there's great joy. There's great difficulty going on in, in everybody's life. So Father, as we are here, would you help us to kind of tune out all the things that pull on us and weigh on us every day 
that we can draw close to you, Lord, to listen for your voice, to feel your love for each one of us. Father, to take it very personally that Jesus died for us, that you made promises to us, and you keep your promises. Father, speak to us now. We are your servants, and your servants are listening. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I always uh, really appreciate when I go speaking at retreats and stuff how all the ladies do everything and get it done so well. You know, that things are just right. They're in the proper place. The door prizes are ready. The food tonight, the fellowship time was great. The name tags are done, all that stuff. And name tags are one of the things that I personally appreciate the most. Because apart from Jan and Jana, I don't know anybody in the room. So even though I met you at dinner and you introduced yourself to me, I may not know your name right now. I'm postmenopausal. Remember that. Okay? You have a lot to look forward to, girls. It's very freeing to be on this side of menopause. But anyway, um, name tags are a big deal in our lives, and we don't even know it. When my husband and I first uh, moved to Houston and joined the church that we are still in, it was a a growing church, growing, growing, growing. And so you wore a name tag for everything. And I told my husband then, I said, we need to invest in the company that this church buys name tags from. (laughs) We will make a lot of money if we invest in those name tags. But anyway, I want us to think about name tags in terms of uh, who we are. Our name tag is really an instrument, a tool that says, this is who I am. I'm Laura. I'm Becca. I'm Jan. Okay? So a a name tag gives information. But what we sometimes don't realize is we live out of a name tag. We have name tags in our soul, on our soul, (coughs) that we live out of, whether we realize it or not and the first name tag I remember wearing and I wore it proudly was daddy's girl I grew up with uh, the girl between two boys you know everybody always said the rose between two thorns I said exactly but um, I was a daddy's girl I loved my daddy and I knew my daddy loved me and I can remember as a little girl he would uh, have breakfast every morning. He had the same thing every morning. He had oatmeal. And I would get up and sit in his lap, and he would save the last few bites of his oatmeal for me. And so every morning, I ate my daddy's oatmeal. And y'all, that was a long time ago. That was 60 years ago and more. And I can still taste that oatmeal in my mouth. I love my daddy so much. And my daddy loved me so much. One day when I was five, though, everything changed. I was in kindergarten. It was half day at the time. And I'd come home from school, have lunch, take my nap. And then my daddy had very regular hours at his job. And so after nap time, when it was time for my daddy to come home, my mother would dress me up. I mean, Sunday best. Every day while I was at a nap, she was kind of... uh, ADD, I guess, or something, hyperactive. She, I had the little white shoes with the white, uh, you know, laces. She'd wash my shoelaces. 
So they were shining white. When my daddy came home every day, let me tell you, I was ready. I would go stand on the corner. My daddy would come around in the car and pick me up. I'd get in the car and Goodness gracious, no car seat and no seat belt. <laughs> and I would stand next to my daddy as he turned around the corner and then parked the car in front of the apartment that we lived in. Every day, I did that. But one day, when I was five years old, I stood on the corner, as always, dressed up. But my daddy didn't come. So my mother, of course, is trying to coax me inside. You better come on in. I would not budge. I did not want to disappoint my daddy. I did not want him coming around the corner and me not being there for him. But, you know, it started to get dark. I'm a little child, so my mother insisted that I go inside. So I went inside our apartment, and I stationed myself right at the window where I could see the parking place where my daddy would park. And y'all, my daddy never came home. Rip off that name tag. Daddy's girl. And that name tag was replaced with abandoned, rejected. Because you know, when a little child doesn't know anything about man and woman stuff, Man and woman problems. Little children that experience a broken home, that's what they used to call it, blame themselves. It never once crossed my mind that my daddy left my mother. My daddy left me. And that does things to a little girl's heart. I remember people would say to my mother, well, how's Laura? And she would say, well, she's fine. She hasn't even cried. Well, we all know nowadays that's terrible. What a red flag that is. Because what I had done was just stuff all that pain. And as a five-year-old, you don't know how to deal with it anyway. And I didn't really have people around me at that time that were trying to help me deal with it. My mother had been pregnant at the time with a, a fourth child, uh, had to be hospitalized, miscarried the baby. Our family got split up. My older brother went uh, several hours away, lived in with an aunt and uncle, and then my younger brother and I went in a different direction a few hours and lived with my grandmother and grandfather for a while. And I'll tell you, when my parents divorced, that was their decision, but that decision had consequences on our family for the rest of our lives. We are still having consequences. And one of my brothers is not a believer. And he still has consequences in his life because he does not know the Lord to receive healing and wholeness. He is still dealing with the pain and wearing that name tag, abandoned, rejected. So after I kind of get myself together a little bit as a five-year-old, right? And it helped really uh, living with my grandmother and grandfather because I was in a loving home. And I did have now a mother figure, father figure. But, you know, imagine grandparents raising grandchildren. They lived out in the country um, on a, a farm kind of thing. It was I'm a city girl, so that part of it, I, I realized early on, I am not a country girl. Uh, I, I 
I was not ready for that country life. But what happens inside of a little girl when her heart is broken, her life has exploded, is she, and all of us really, when there's pain, we have coping mechanisms, right? We learn to cover up that pain. We learn to do other things in hopes of pushing that pain farther and farther away in hopes that someday it will go away. So I became Miss Independent, okay? Nobody was going to get close to me again. I, was, I became emotionally distant, really. I kind of shut down. I wasn't going to let anybody else get close to me because I didn't want anybody else. I didn't want to give anybody else the power to be able to hurt me again like that. And I also became an overachiever. You know, that whole performance thing. If the more I could do, the better I could do it, then the more I would be accepted and approved, right? When your own father, you feel like, doesn't accept you and approve you, you look for that in other places. So I kind of became an overachiever in my life. Uh, when I was in high school, I was in the French club, the German club, and the Spanish club all at the same time. Okay? I'm serious when I said I was an overachiever. Okay? But besides, they each took a field trip and went out to eat. And so I thought, well, that's a good club to be a member of. <laughs> I wanted to go on those field trips. But part of, of another name tag that I began to wear in that process was not enough. I am not enough on my own. Because if my own father rejected, abandoned me, surely I was lacking. So all of this overachieving, all of that independence uh, was a, my coping mechanism to deal with the pain that was so deep. But something else happened as a result of my daddy leaving home. And it really was the most significant thing that's ever happened in my life. After my mother uh, recovered physically, she was able to get a job, kind of get things back together. And then at uh, a time when school started, again, my older brother and I were school age. So we went back. I grew up in New Orleans. We went back to New Orleans to live with my mom again. And uh, we were latchkey kids before it was even a thing. We sort of set the trend, and I wish we hadn't, but we did. So we didn't see my mother much because she worked at a grocery store, and she had to be there like at 7 in the morning, and she worked till evening time. So we saw her in the morning before we went to school. She, went, she got us up and went to work. And then my older brother, I had three dresses. One to wear, one that would be in the wash, and one for the next day that was clean. And my grandmother had made them, and it was the old style with the sashes in the back, you know. So my older brother's two years older than me. He learned to tie those bows, those sashes on my dresses. And uh, my older brother took care of me. We shared a room, and uh, he was really my whole world, and uh, I was his. So we were very, very, very close. But uh, a couple, and older couple at the time, I think they were probably younger than I am now, but anyway, this older couple who was empty nesters, and uh, she, they heard about, the, the lady heard about my mom having these two kids at home with nobody taking care of them, so she asked my mother at the grocery store, well, 
Do you mind if my husband and I, we would like to pick up your children and take them to church with us on Sundays? My mother said, yeah, sure, that'd be fine. Well, my mother had grown up in a believing home. My grandparents were godly, godly people. They loved Jesus. They lived Jesus. They were what my husband calls salt of the earth Christians. They met the needs of their community. They were just great, great folk. And uh, so, of course, while I lived with them, I went to church. I heard about Jesus. I knew about Jesus. Uh, But when we came back home, we were not going to church. So Mr. and Mrs. Patterson came every Sunday morning and picked up my brother and I and took us to church in our neighborhood. And Miss Patterson happened to be the teacher in the Sunday school class of little children my age. So I got to be in Miss Patterson's Sunday school class. And y'all, it was such a divine appointment. God does not miss anything. God never misses an opportunity to make his name great. So Miss Patterson is the only person I can remember at the time that looked into my little girl eyes but saw into my soul. She saw my broken heart. You know, I had this shield up, even as a little child. Now, you understand, when I'm that age, I don't know this is going on. I could not have described it to you then. But looking back on it as an adult, I know what was happening. So I had put my shield up, and uh, everybody else just thought, well, she's fine, because I I wasn't acting out, I wasn't crying, I wasn't anything. But Miss Patterson saw in my eyes that I was brokenhearted. She saw my desperation and my desperate need for father love in my life. So one day after Sunday school, Miss Patterson sat me down after the other children left, and she told me the story of Jesus from a perspective that was meaningful in my life. She told me about God being our almighty God, our Father, our heavenly Father, that loved each one of us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us because we were all caught up in sin. We were separate from God, and we could not get to him apart from the sacrifice of Jesus. And while she was talking to me, y'all, I had the, there's a uh, description in scripture of two guys walking on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had resurrected and Jesus shows up and talking to them and it says their hearts burned within them. Well, I'm telling you, as Miss Patterson was telling me the story of God the Father's love for me through Jesus, I had that experience. My heart just burned within me. And even as a child, I understood that I was dead in my sins and my trespasses and that I needed a Savior. And I believed that God loved me, Laura, and sent Jesus to die for my sins, Laura's sins. And Miss Patterson told me, That if you accept the grace gift, the salvation God offers you through Jesus Christ, that God himself 
adopts you into his family and he becomes your father. She said God had promised to be a father to the fatherless. Ding, 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 ding. My heart burned within me and I threw myself into the arms of the Lord. I prayed, accepted Christ, asked him to be the Savior and Lord of my life, and got a daddy in the process. Well, y'all think about it. You're a five, now six-year-old child. You do not live in a believing home. You don't have anyone modeling it or telling you anything about it, right? But I was still going to church every Sunday morning. Ms. Patterson would pick us up. So I did begin to uh, learn to understand and learn things about God. And I learned about all these new name tags. I learned about all these things about my new self, my new identity as a daughter of God and through Jesus Christ. How uh, saved was one of my new name tags. Forgiven. Beloved. Daughter of the King. Accepted complete but one of my favorite and I think it's my all-time favorite and I still y'all all these years I tell this story all the time and I still get so emotional about it because it's so deeply meaningful to me Isaiah chapter 43 God says to his children do not fear for I have redeemed you I have called you by name you are mine. <sighs> Y'all, Peter says, you know, once you were not a people, and now you're the people of God. I had gone from not a people to the people of God. I had gone from not enough to complete in Christ. I had gone from abandoned and rejected. I had gone to accepted and embraced and totally loved. <sighs> Y'all, that was such an awesome, awesome time in my life. But still as a child, you know, it's hard to grow in Christ when you have such a uh, meager diet of Christian things, right? But I began to read my Bible. My great aunt that I had lived around when I lived with my grandmother gave me my own little Bible. I still have it with my name on it. I was so proud of that thing, but it was a King James version, right? So here I am, the six-year-old little girl. And y'all, when God lit that flame in me, the flame of love for him and the great, his grace in my life, Man, nobody told me, now you must have a quiet time every day. Nobody told me that. My soul cried out for the living God. I wanted to get to know my father. So I figured the way to do it is that book that's written about him, by him, about him. So my great aunt sends me this Bible. So I start reading. I'm reading creation story. That's awesome. You know, creation, fall, flood, whatever. Well, then I got to all those big names <laughs> and all those guys who begat, begat, begat. Well, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't have anybody to explain it to me. So I was a little bit frustrated. So I flip around. I'm trying to find something else to read. 
Well, I happened to see this kind of break, you know, on some white pages, and then something else started new. Well, you know, New Testament, guess what? But anyway, so I start reading in Matthew. Where, where does, how does Matthew start? <laughs> with the genealogies, with the begats. I was right back in the big names and the begatting, okay? So I was like, oh, what can I do? So I flip around some more, and I end up in Psalms. I start reading by my little girl self in King James Version, the Psalms. Well, what are the Psalms but the cry of a man's heart to his God, to his Father, to his King? Oh, my goodness. I identified so deeply at such a visceral level with David and, and his relationship with the Lord. I learned so much about God from reading the Psalms. So then I got to, after that, what comes next? Proverbs. Well, that wasn't too bad either in King James for a six-year-old. So I start reading Proverbs, and those are pretty straightforward admonitions on how to live, you know? So for I don't know how many years, but I read Psalms and Proverbs, Psalms and Proverbs, Psalms and Proverbs, Psalms and Proverbs, <laughs> over and over and over. Y'all, it was not till I was probably in my mid-30s that I realized what God had done in having me do that. He was teaching me of his heart and his mind. His heart and his mind. God's heart and his mind. His love and the way I live because of that love. So I had all that built into me as a little child. Is that not an incredible thing? That God himself did that work in me because there was no person around to help me. If you are a mommy and you have little children in your home, you read the Bible to them. It's important to read other books. Readings is power. Yes, readers, leaders are readers or whatever. Yes. <laughs> but you teach those kids and read those kids from the Bible. They need to see this is God's word. This is important. This is who God is. And this is who we are. And this is how we are to live. And they need to see it coming out of that book. Because, you know, you tie your kids to you. And someday those kids are going to grow up and go somewhere else. And you're not going to be in the picture. You tie their hearts and minds to the word of God, and it is living and active, and it is always with them. So you do your children a tremendous service. And grandparents, boy, guess what we do when my little grandbabies come over? And they're getting old enough, now we're going to start memorizing scripture together, me and my grandchildren. We color pictures about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We have an Easter egg hunt, but not until we talk about the resurrection. And Jesus dying on the cross and being raised for our sins and for our new life. So, anyway, that was just a little free uh, advertisement there. I, I don't sell Bibles. So. Anyway. But, y'all, when God lit that flame in my life, I, I was growing slowly. But as you can see from the home life I had, it was very difficult for a child to put by herself, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, but to put it all together. But uh, 
as I, I matured a little bit, when I was, uh, I only saw my daddy two times after he left home for just a few minutes each time, and then he died when I was 16 years old. He had been in the hospital one time, I was about nine or 10, and he was in the hospital in Houston, I was in New Orleans, and I went to see him, I saw him for about 10 minutes, uh, but he was very ill, and you know, I hadn't seen him since I was a little girl, and by this time he'd aged a lot, and you know, my brothers were there, my aunt was there, so it was kind of, I saw him, I talked to him, but you know, it wasn't soul-filling as I wish it could have been. And then I saw him again the week before he died. Uh, he was in the hospital again in Houston, and I was 16, drove over there, and uh, I shared the gospel with him. And he said that he accepted Jesus. I don't know if that was a real thing or if that was, hey, this is my daughter, she's asking me to do this, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But I shared the gospel with him, and uh, he died the, the next week after I was back home. So add grief into puberty, into all that pain undealt with, still deep down in that little girl heart. Not to mention the fact that I'm coming of age in the late 60s, early 70s, right? I am woman, hear me roar, right? What a tumultuous time of life. You know, my husband always says he is so thankful the Lord got a hold of my life because I'd have been the one leading the march, burning my bra, and washing the <laughs> You know? I'd have been president of now. But, you know, thank goodness the Lord got a hold of me early on and prevented me from all that. But, y'all, whatever's going on in culture seeps into your life. It seeps in. And I didn't have a mother in my home that was telling me, yeah, the women's live movement says this, but that's not true, okay? So I'm hearing all this, and they're anti-men. Well, guess what I was at that time anyway? Men, they love you, they leave you. Who needs that? So, y'all, I'm a mess. I love Jesus. If I died, I would have gone to heaven. But I was a mess because I was a conglomeration, a tangle of emotion, hurt, anger, fear, grief, rage. Listen to the women's livers. Yeah, yeah, we don't need those men. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Woo. Thank goodness some of the stuff that goes on now wasn't going on then. But anyway. So it, it was a, a rough time for me, shall we say. But um, the Lord, again, showed up. You will find, you will see throughout my story, every time I started sinking again, the flames started flickering, God would come and give me a boost of some sort. And even though I'd sworn off men, when I was in college, this guy named Kurt Cates showed up. I was at LSU, and he transferred in from um, another university, and we met, became friends, and one thing led to another. And even though I'd sworn off men, the Lord really did a work in my heart. And I opened my heart to the possibility of marriage and loving Kurt Cates. So we did. We got married, and uh, the Lord was very gracious and all that. And that's a whole other story in and of itself, kind of miraculous. But anyway. 
So, now I'm married, I got a man that loves me, so everything ought to be good, right? Wrong. Because guess what? I'm still living out of those old name tags, right? Marriage doesn't fix your old name tags. It just gives you a new one, okay? Just changes your name. Adds a name to your name tag. So... As we were in grad school, we, we got married, we go on our honeymoon, we come back, and we had jobs in the summer, getting ready to start classes, and Kurt got up and went to work that first day we were back home from our honeymoon, and y'all, I fell apart. I hit the most unbelievably hard wall emotionally that I'd ever hit. I suffered with migraine headaches anyway, but I got a migraine that lasted for eight days. I was throwing up constantly. My poor husband was carrying me. I mean, you know, here he married this little cheerleader, took her on her honeymoon, and came back home, and then she's this rag. He's <laughs> taking me back and carrying me. I was so weak, back and forth to the bathroom to throw up. And we did not know what had happened to me. So ultimately, we had to go to the emergency room and, you know, get knocked out with drugs and all that, and I at least got rid of the headache. But something was desperately wrong with me inside, emotionally. I had ruptured. I was bleeding to death emotionally, if you will. And what we realize now, I had what back then they called a nervous breakdown. I don't even know what they call it now, but it was awful. It was awful. So Kurt would go to work and then come home and we'd sit on the couch and I'd sit there crying and hold my Bible and just rock. Because we knew the answer was in here, but there's no listing in the concordance that says young wife falls apart. (laughs) We didn't know where to look to find the answer yet. But I would sit there and Kurt prayed, God help us. God. Please help us. God, help. Y'all, here's two young people in the prime of their lives, and everything was wrong. And we didn't know how to fix it. We didn't have parents that we could talk to about it. There wasn't such thing as counseling and all that. Back then, the Hollywood stars went to therapy, right? (laughs) But we didn't have access to any of that. There weren't any books written about any of this stuff back then. I was a wreck. We didn't know why. We didn't know how to fix it. But we knew where to go for the answer. And we cried and prayed and waited on the Lord. And God came through. God showed up so big time. And, you know, it wasn't this all of a sudden God showed up and gave me a notebook full of all the answers of the questions I had. But as we submitted ourselves to the Lord day after day, asking him to show us what was going on with me, what we needed to do, the Lord kind of opened my understanding to see what had happened. Did you hear me when I said when I fell apart? When Kurt got up and went to work. My heart feared that he wouldn't come back. I didn't know that, but that's what happened. And that, the dam broke. My heart exploded 
all over again. But this time I couldn't shove all that old pain back down. It was spilling out everywhere. But I tell you what, to this day, my favorite time of day is when I hear that garage door going up and my man comes back home to me. That's my favorite time of day still. And so my heart explodes daily now in a good way. But I always say the two great loves of my life, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the faithful love of Kurt Gates, have completely transformed me. Was it an overnight thing? No, not hardly. Poor Kurt, he had no idea what he was getting into. <laughs> but he was faithful, is faithful, and uh, the Lord has blessed us so much. But y'all, so much trauma to deal with early on, so many difficult things, but God in his faithful love, his loving kindness, that word loving kindness is such a powerful word in my life. It's a covenant word. God uses that word about how he feels and acts toward those that are in covenant relationship with him. And his loving kindness has transformed my life. He brought healing to my soul. It was a good thing when that dam burst. It was painful. It was confusing. It was very, very difficult. But through that process, the Lord showed me the bitterness, the anger, the fear, the resentment, all the hurt that was so deep down inside of me. And he showed me the need to forgive my mother and my father. I held them responsible for what had happened to me. And I held them responsible for the hurt. But the Lord made it clear to me through his word, just through the Holy Spirit, that until I was willing to forgive them, I was not going to be whole. So I did. I forgave my mother. I forgave my father. I never told them because they never knew I held anything against them. But I did it. I did it. And God did that work in my heart. So after grad school, we, you know, we got better. And uh, after grad school, we moved to Houston. Kirk got his first job, and we, I got pregnant. I had baby boy, and that's another whole miraculous story, uh, all that happened there. But um, so everything's all good, right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> because something was still not right. Because remember, I had been healed. I had ripped off some of those name tags, the abandoned, rejected, unforgiveness. I had ripped those off. But I was still wearing my facade. I was still wearing Miss Independent, Miss Overachiever, Miss I Have It All Together. Like, I think if it was back then, Joanna Gaines would have been my idol, right? Okay? Like, I got it all going. I am Miss Magnolia. Yeah? And she's awesome. I'm not criticizing her. I'm saying uh, that would have been uh, bad for me. But, y'all, I was still at what should have been the most promising, exciting time of my life. I was still, something was missing, something was wrong. I was still unsettled in my soul, and I was really kind of miserable because I was an overachiever, because I was into performance. I thought the higher level I perform, the better everything will be. But I could not perform my way 
into godliness. Now, if we all took a test, we would all get a 100. Is it works that make you godly? No, we know that. Yet we live like our salvation depends on our works, like our godliness is increased by what we do. Okay? Not totally right. So anyway, I'm still this perfect. I become a perfectionist in the meantime, you know, with all that overachieving and performing. So here I am, this perfectionist and everything. Y'all, I, I tried as hard as I could in my flesh to be a godly woman. I, I figured that's what God would want, right? Doesn't that sound like a God thing, that you should be a godly woman? Well, you should be. But I didn't know what it was. I didn't know quite what it should look like. I sure didn't know how to go about it, but I was sure trying hard. But the problem was I was trying my own way, in my own strength, deciding on everything in my own mind, and asking God to bless my efforts. That's not the way it works. So no wonder I was still frustrated. I was doing what I call was becoming a Christmas tree Christian. You know, you take the fruit of the Spirit and, and the godly things and you hang them on yourself and you think you're in. <laughs> you decorate yourself up with those godly characteristics that are there on the outside but they're not on the inside. Guess what? You're still not that thing just because you hang it on yourself. Okay? So I was trying really hard, but I was well-intentioned. I had the right idea. I was just going about it the wrong way. I was frustrated because my efforts, my fleshly efforts were failing, and I couldn't figure out what else I needed to do. I was desperate, and guess what? That makes you teachable. I was so teachable because I was at the end of myself. Finally, right? <laughs> a song came on the radio 100 years ago. Wayne Watson had this song, uh, Finally Out of Control, right? I finally losing my mind. I finally let go. Well, that was me. I was trying to control my way into godliness. I was trying to order my world in such a way that I would become a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother. But I had failed at everything. Something was still not right. So I rededicated myself again to the Lord, okay? Every time, y'all, I go back. It's the Lord, it's his word. That is going to be where the answer is to whatever my problem was. And sure enough, but this time I had been through so many things with the Lord. I really hope this time he'd just go, poof, you're a godly woman. <laughs> I was really ready for that magic wand, but the magic scepter, but it did not come out. <laughs> But, you know, I did not know at the time when I just threw myself on the Lord again. I did not know what a difficult journey it would be. But I also did not know how magnificent the grace of God would prove in this process. So God is, is a faithful father. He began to teach me, beginning with hard truth. I needed a major overhaul. I thought I just needed a tune-up, you know? <laughs> drive in for a little while, drive out, you're good. But the Lord said, no, honey, we're doing a new thing. We're going to make you new. I'm not interested in taking a battered old thing and putting Band-Aids on it and a new coat of paint. 
I'm interested in making you totally new. So the Lord began, and I call it my godly woman thing, okay? I had this godly woman thing going, me and God. And uh, the Lord took me, challenged me on my core belief system because I was a woman of opinions. I was a woman of belief. But it was not always the right thing. I didn't always have the right information, the right perspective. So God literally just stripped me down. It was voluntary. I went to him and I asked him. I was reading in, in John 14, and one of the things about reading the Bible you got to be careful is you don't realize it, but you're reading it from a point of view. So one of my prayers now before I study the Bible is from Psalms. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. I want to see what it really says, not what I think it says or what I want it to say, right? I had read the 14th chapter of John many, 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 many times. But when I'm desperate and the Lord is doing this work in me, challenging me, I go to John 14 and I realize that these truths were, were going to remake me, and I didn't know it, but God sort of gives a formula, not a formula, I don't even want to say that because it's not like, Okay, if everybody will go home and do one, two, three, it'll all be good. I do not want to give that impression. But I began to read the Bible for transformation as opposed to information. We have our quiet time. We check it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're not necessarily transformed by the word we read that day, right? We find out things about God. We make a list. We write it down. Yay, God. But if it doesn't transform me, and change me, and conform me more to the image of Jesus Christ. I missed it. And I had missed it for a long time. So I'm reading John 14, and, and there's a, a way, a pattern for how it was working. And Jesus says, you know, if you, if you love me, Laura, and I did, I love Jesus, then you're going to obey me. Or I'm willing to obey you. I am, I am, Okay. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask, Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father. And he's going to give you another helper. And this helper is going to be with you forever. Okay? So we love God. We obey God. Then we realize the Holy Spirit is there, right? The helper, the spirit of truth that the world can't receive because the world doesn't know him. But I'm a believer, so I've got the Holy Spirit in my life, right? I need to get in touch with that flame. I need to submit myself to the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, and I love this verse. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now, you want to know Jesus? You want to know? You want transformation in your life? There you go. When did the disclosure come? When the love was present. The fruit of love for God is obedience in our lives. When we submit and realize the Holy Spirit will lead us in truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. When we realize that right relationship with God and we are fully aflame into the things of the Lord, loving him and him loving us, 
then he teaches us more. He shows us. He reveals himself to us in deeper and meaning, more meaningful ways. And then guess what? As we know him more, what happens? Oh, my goodness, we love him more. And the more we love him, the more we obey him. And the more we obey, the more in touch we are with the power of the Holy Spirit helping us. And as the Holy Spirit helps us to love God more deeply and obey him more completely, then he will disclose himself to me. I learn more of him, and it changes me again, and I love him more. And then I obey him more, and on and on it goes. And I saw that for what it meant for the first time in my life. But then I got to John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I have said. Well, y'all, I knew that verse. But I didn't realize it in my mind. I had annotated it. I had added a little something to it. He will teach you all things about Jesus. Well, that's true, but it's not what it says. It says the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And literally, I stopped in my tracks. I just looked at that, and I just talked to the Lord. I said, Lord, right here, you say you will teach me all things. I want to know about being a godly woman. Ready, set, go. I said that to God. It was okay. He's my father. He's my daddy. Right? I was in relationship with him. And it was a simple, very sincere, somewhat impertinent prayer. (laughs) But it opened the floodgates of heaven in my life. Because for the first time, I wasn't taking my request to God and saying, here's what I want to happen. I wasn't taking my problem to God saying, okay, would you fix it and fix it this way? I wasn't performing to try to get more favor, more love from God. I wasn't trying to control my world. I was flat on my face saying, Lord, I need to know something. You know it. Would you teach it to me? And of course he said yes, because he already said he would do it. Well, that started in me a three and one half year journey into this godly woman thing. It took a long time for the Lord to break down some of those barriers I had. It took a long time for the Lord to break through my selfish pride. I think in my own system of morality that I thought was pretty good, but I thunk it up by myself. It wasn't from the Lord. It took a long time to understand you can't perform your way to godliness, baby girl. Godliness comes from God, not your performance. So the Lord began that great work in me, and he continues it to this day. But I'll tell you, y'all, anytime you start something serious with God, guess what's going to happen? Boy, you're going to be under fire from within and from without. And for really the first year, there was such a rebellious resistance in my soul, okay? Because God was, was ripping things off, ripping off name tags. And um, it hurt. It hurt. And I I didn't realize everything all at once, but 
I did realize that I had to recognize in my life and reject anything that was not a thought from God. Anything, any opinion I had, any experience that had colored the way I think or the way I feel, I had to put it by the wayside. I could no longer deal with everything as I had before. I had to recognize and reject all the ungodly things in my life. And ultimately, I had to come to the place where I realized I really didn't have a proper view of God. Until you have a proper view of God, you can't have a proper view of yourself. And until you have a proper view of yourself, you can't understand how to relate to God and relate to other people in the world where God has placed you. So God had to take me all the way back. I had to learn to uh, ask and have God answer and me answer some hard questions. What did I really believe about God? Was he really a, a loving Heavenly Father? If he was loving, why did he let me go through all that hurt? You know, as a child, you can't understand that kind of thing. What about sovereignty? If God is sovereign, why does he let things happen that are so painful to people? Why does he let abuse happen? Why does he let war happen? Why does he let this and that happen? If he is sovereign, he could go in there and change it in a minute. Why doesn't he? So I'm asking these hard questions about the sovereignty of God, about the love of God, about the nature and character of God. What about the Bible? I've been reading the Bible my whole life. I was memorizing it my whole life. What did I believe? It Is it true? Is everything in it true? Where did it come from? If it's true, does it supposed to have an effect on my life? Do I need to conform my life to it? You know, a lot of people uh, pick and choose. They have the cafeteria approach to Bible. They pick what they like. They memorize the verses they like out of context and uh, <laughs> sound quite godly, but they ignore all the rest. Okay. What about all this stuff in here? Is it just a bunch of old stories that no longer hold true? Come on, Laura. Culture is so different now. Things have changed. This isn't all pertinent anymore. You might think that. Well, God challenged me on every level, every opinion. What did I think about being a wife? Why was I a wife? What was marriage for? I thought it was so that man could love me and cherish me and adore me the rest of my life. <laughs> Isn't that what you thought? No. It was so that Kurt and I and the way we relate to one another could be a picture to the world of God's love in Christ for his bride, the church, and our relationship to Christ. I spent so much time trying to be happy and fulfilled when the whole time God was trying to get through to me saying, honey, it's about being holy and filled. And then the happiness trickles on in. I had so much backwards. So, God had to, to work me over on that stuff. And I realized I had a lot of false information. People, you know, friends, y'all, friends and family, they're well-intentioned. They love you. They will tell you stuff that is false. They will quote the good book to you. 
stuff that the good book does not say. Okay? The good book does not say cleanliness is next to godliness. Okay? Even though my mother told me that. All right? The good book does not say God helps those who help themselves. Right? God says, I'm your help because you're helpless apart from me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You need my help. And he's right. Okay? So we got to be careful. But anyway, during this time, I, I realized that I was giving, in giving myself up to the Lord like that, I was really finding myself. The thing I feared the most in totally pressing myself into the Lord so completely was that I would lose myself. But that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because that's exactly what happened. I became a grain of wheat that when placed down into the earth, that hard seed shell broke. And new life sprang forth. I became a new person when I began to understand to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I began to understand that a lot of things that I had thought were not true, so I could reject them and I could learn to live in the light and the love of Jesus. Y'all, fast forward through my life. I've had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of difficulties and a lot, a lot, a lot of delights. We've had some really hard, dry seasons in our lives, my husband and I and our family. But we've also had some incredibly bountiful, wet seasons of rain from the Lord. We've had a lot of sweet times. Through it all, God continues to build and rebuild, build and rebuild into our lives. And I learned, I stand before you today as one who has been transformed by the grace of God, by God's love and by his power. And I learned that to live out of my God-given, Christ-purchased, Holy Spirit-empowered life, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who gave himself up for me. The flame that the Lord lit in me, the more I respond to him, the more I walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going from faith to faith, from glory to glory, and my light is increasing. My flame is burning more brightly. And I say my flame, it's not really mine, is it? It is the flame of the Lord released when the junk is carved away. Right? The Lord has done such a great work in my life. So this little light of mine... I'm going to let it shine. What about you? What about you? I, I don't come here to tell you my story so you can go, oh, she had a hard time, but isn't it great? She got over it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what this is about. I had to learn to ask hard questions. What about you? Do you identify with the frustration and the fruitlessness of doing life your own way? that ring a bell with anybody? Have you been hurt 
or maybe hardened by the events or people or circumstances of your life? How about pain? We've all got pain, y'all. Is the pain of your past or even your present, is it devastating? Is it disappointing? Are those things keeping you from emotional health and spiritual vitality right now? Are you exhausted by the demands of your life? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? (laughs) Are you resisting or rebelling against God in some way? The Bible says, Psalm says, only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. If you feel like you're dwelling in a parched, dry place right now, is it because of rebellion in your life? Have you allowed sin or difficult circumstances or inflamed emotions to keep you from shining? Are you willing to honestly examine your heart before the Lord? Ladies, hear this. God's design and God's desire for us is to accept and appropriate the gift of salvation. A lot of us accept it, but we sort of get derailed because we don't appropriate it, make it real in our lives, apply it. I could go to every drugstore and every grocery store in Lubbock, Texas, and buy every single jar, whatever, of deodorant. I could decorate my home in deodorant. I could have the secret room. I could have the sure room. I could have the whatever other kind of rooms. But you know what? Until I opened one of those packages and applied the deodorant, (laughs) I would still be living the same old stinking life, right? Until we are willing to do whatever it takes to strip down and let the Lord wash us and clean us, clean us out from the inside and then apply his truth in our lives, we will still live the same old stinking, unshining life. So I'm asking you this weekend to consider these kinds of questions. To consider offering yourself up to the Lord in a way that Jesus, the very light of the world, who says to you, you are the light of the world. So that Jesus himself can either light you up for the first time or he will begin to fan that flame. And you will go from glory to glory, from strength to strength, And then together, we'll leave here this weekend shining for Jesus. Thank you.